0: you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for that very warm welcome. It's a delight to be here. It is a real pleasure to visit with so many young people because the campaign in this past year has been energized by the young people who have a great deal of concern for the future of the country, and for that purpose, I welcome all the young people here. I'm delighted that you have an interest in not only this campaign, but how we're going to save this country and preserve liberty in this world today. Yes, I I was raised in Pittsburgh. Uh, My family family was a Christian family. I was raised in a Christian home. And there were two things that were taught, Christian values and the work ethic. And uh, during that time, at the age of 14, I committed to Christ as my savior. During my medical school training, the issue of abortion never came up because in the late 1950s and the early 60s, it was not yet an issue. So it was rather strange to see what happened in the decade of the 60s where the moral conditions of this country deteriorated and abortion became acceptable. There was a time when I, in my medical training as an OB doctor at the University of Pittsburgh, that I accidentally walked into a room where they were performing an abortion on a baby that weighed several pounds and was taken out and left to die. It was a heart-wrenching experience for me, and I knew this was a very, very important issue that we would have to deal with. I am the champion of the Constitution and personal liberty and free markets and sound money, but all that is irrelevant, if you don't understand the importance of life, and that means all life, preborn life as well. <clears throat> I have, a, I have an, a bill in the Congress, it's called the Sanctity of Life uh, Resolution. And it's a program for my way of stopping abortions. But in the beginning of it, I state that life begins at conception. And some people argue with me on that, and uh, and yet it's not a political statement. Matter of fact, to me, it's not even a religious statement. The fact that life begins at conception is a scientific statement. That is when life begins. But my approach to many of the social issues as well as as abortion is to... try to solve our problems through the use of the Constitution and obey the law. So the Sanctity of Life Amendment addresses this problem by taking away the jurisdiction from the federal courts. This this can be done by a majority vote of the Congress and a signature by the president. So if we had done this five or ten years ago when we had more control of the House and the Senate and the presidency, we could have stopped literally millions of abortions. There's nothing wrong with trying to change our courts, which we will and have to someday, but that's a long-term problem. Amending the Constitution is a worthy project. But the fact that we can remove jurisdiction, whether it has to do with public prayer or whether it has to do with uh, saying our pledge of allegiance and uh, public expression of God in public places, if we could pass state laws, state laws that would stand the scrutiny, and yet never be reversed by our federal courts, we could accomplish so much, so much sooner, and that vehicle is available to us. One of the reasons I think the young people have flocked to our campaign is we do talk about financial conditions of this country and what you as a next generation are inheriting. You're inheriting a big problem. It's a financial problem, And we've gotten ourselves into this mess because we've done but one thing. We haven't followed the law. We haven't followed the Constitution. And if we had, we wouldn't have so many problems today. We we now have a financial burden that is astronomical. And that burden is being passed on to the next generation. We now owe $2.7 trillion to foreigners. And this move in the direction of accumulating more debt is unsustainable. Our national debt is now $9 trillion. The budget proposed this year is going to raise the national debt. It's already admitted it could be $600 billion, and it will probably be more because we're moving into a recession. The point being is that you, as a young generation, are inheriting a problem that will take some hard work to deal with. And that means that we have to look to what it's like to have a free market economy and sound money. Because if we had that, we wouldn't have these, these conditions that we have today. We overspend for political reasons. It's very easy for the politicians to accommodate any request or any demand. And whether it has a conservative image to it or a liberal image to it, there's usually a compromise in Washington. They usually come together and say, well, let's raise both. Instead of cutting both, they raise both and they just pay us on the debt to the next generation. What we do is we tax, and we tax too much, and then we borrow, then we borrow too much, and then there's still not enough money. So they go to the Federal Reserve, and they allow the Federal Reserve to print the money. If we have true reform to restore soundness to our economy and soundness to our Constitution, we must address the subject of sound money. The founders of this country knew about sound money and understood it. They understood what the Bible said about sound money and honest weights and measures. This is why they said that you could not print money and you could only have gold and silver as legal tender. So eventually, when your generation has the responsibility of resolving this problem and resort to the Constitution, we will not have a central bank, a Federal Reserve System that's allowed to debase our currency at will. And then again, if we had a proper-sized government and we followed Article One, Section 8, and the government was very limited, you know, we wouldn't need very much taxes either. At least at the federal level, there would be very minimal taxes. Which means then that we could give serious consideration and we must someday repeal the 16th Amendment and not even have an income tax. The income tax acknowledges that the federal government owns us. They own all our income and permits us to keep a certain percentage. And it is for this reason that governments feel like they can tell us what to do and how to spend our money and give us our money back only under certain conditions. And this is why I think it's so important to have minimal government so that we have the incentives to work hard, take care of our families, and keep the fruits of our labor. This is the system... That is the only humanitarian system that will take care of the maximum number of people and have the best equitable distribution of wealth. That is free markets and sound money and personal liberty. When we resort to welfareism and socialism and all these other government interventions, we end up with diminishing productivity, diminishing the wealth of the country, and actually depending on the government for all our resources. But the whole problem is government produces nothing. All they can do is take from one group and give to another. And we've been getting away with this for a long time. We've been getting away with this for quite a few decades. But now we've we've run out of wealth, the currency's under attack, and our productivity is going down. We have been able to print money because we've had the reserve currency of the world and we've been able to export our money and buy goods and services. So what happened? Our good jobs went overseas. So now, we're less productive than ever before. And what we need to do is restore confidence in ourselves that freedom works. Freedom not only is popular, it really works if we allow it to. The founders understood this and that's why they wrote the Constitution in the way they did. They wrote it so that it was a restraint on government. It doesn't restrain the people. It frees the people and tells the government what they can't do. And yet today, we have a government that tells us what to do, and so much in government is kept secret. The purpose of the Fourth Amendment is to preserve your privacy, but our privacy is systematically under attack, and what has happened our government. It's becoming more secret than ever before and that has to be reversed if we're to have a proper constitutional government. Today we face a serious problem financially and we have to look at where the money is going. We have overextended ourselves overseas. There is no doubt about it, we now maintain an empire and we can't afford it. We now spend over a trillion dollars a year maintaining all the things that we do overseas. We are now involved in over 130 countries. We have 700 bases overseas and it really doesn't serve our interests. We are not stronger for it, we're actually weaker for it because it undermines our financial conditions here at home. At the same time, we get into protracted wars. That aren't, you know, where we don't even see the end to these wars, which drains our military, demoralizes our our military, at the same time, we don't see an end to it. One, the solution, the prevention is that we should never go to war without a declaration of war, as according to the Constitution. Since World War II, we haven't declared a war once and we haven't won it, and it continues to drain us. And this is the reason I argue that we should debate the war before we go to war, not after it starts and then we get into a situation that is so difficult to leave. I, I was drafted in 1962 during the Vietnam War crisis and the Cuban crisis. And it was always argued, well, we can't leave now, you know, because it's a mess and it's going to get messier and there will be a domino effect in Vietnam. What didn't happen, we finally had to leave after 60,000 Americans were killed. It was tragic. And yet today, we, after following the advice of the founders, we got out of there. We quit trying to pursue our interests militarily. We started talking to the Vietnamese. We started trading with the Vietnamese. We started visiting and investing in Vietnam and they come here and we talk to their president and now they're westernized. We did that in peace, not in war. So the founders are absolutely correct. Their advice was to stay out of entangling alliances, stay out of the internal affairs of other nations, but always be willing to talk and practice diplomacy and to get along with people. So this, this is a much better approach. Now, they said, once again, we cannot leave Iraq. Even one candidate says we shouldn't leave for 100 years. But how, how are we going to stay for 100 years? There's no money. You know, even if you thought it was a good idea. It isn't, as far as I'm concerned, a good idea, but it won't work because we're running out of money. So the solution is to our financial problem so that we can take care of the people here at home that are in need, is we have to cut somewhere, and I would say the easiest place politically to cut is the money we spend overseas, so we have to start bringing our troops home as soon as possible. This is not only in the Middle East and uh, in in Iraq and Afghanistan, but also why, why are we paying for the defense of Japan? Why do we have troops in Japan and in Korea and Europe when they're as wealthy as we are and we're getting poorer every day and our dollar is going down in value? So something has to be done. If we don't do something, what happens is the country goes into bankruptcy with the destruction of the currency. And that is why the weakening of the dollar on international exchange market is the most important statistic that's going on right right now today because it's a measurement of the health of our economy and the health of our currency. And right now, the signs are that we're not in good health, so we have to do something. If we do nothing, the currency collapses. Those who are dependent on government programs, social security beneficiaries and people who get medical benefits and and educational benefits – The dollar will keep crashing. There will never be a way you can keep up. Matter of fact, middle class America today is getting poorer. The middle class is being undermined. It's harder to pay their bills. Social Security beneficiaries aren't keeping up. Inflation rates are over 10%, and they get 2% raises. So the standard of living is going down. That is why it's necessary to address this as quickly as possible. Those who say that we can't do this if we left Iraq that we would have chaos and conditions and everything would get much worse. You know who tells us that? It's the very people who said if we go in, it'll be a cakewalk and oil will pay all the bills. But just look at what has happened. It has not been a cakewalk. Mission has not been accomplished. And therefore, the mission will be accomplished when we obey the constitution and be very cautious with what we do. Not only are the economic consequences of extending ourselves too far overseas a serious problem, but another condition uh, happens when we're in perpetual war, and we're told this war is going to go on endlessly. But what happens is it softens our resistance as a people against the encroachment of our personal liberties here at home. And this is historic, whether it was the, whether it was the uh, Civil War, or World War I or World War II or even Korean War, the American people, as other people have, they've always said, well, conditions are bad and we have to sacrifice our freedoms and therefore we have to go along. But you know, we were warned about that and I have come to the firm conclusion that to be safe and secure in this country, we should never have to sacrifice any of our personal liberties. But today, just think of what we put up with going through the airports. Think of how much intrusion there has been into our personal privacy. The invasion of uh, our communications, the invasion of our internet, the warrantless searches that are going on in the secret prisons. It's all done in the name of national security. Yet, you know, if you have a problem with some criminals who use guns, we don't register and take away the guns of innocent people. And this is what's happening today. What has happened today since 9-11, we have registered the American people regardless of whether we're guilty or innocent. And today, we are now well moved into this condition of accepting the national ID card with a number stamped on it. We are at a point now where we will be carrying our papers as of May 1st the national ID card will be in effect. And if a state doesn't accept it, you won't be allowed to get on airplanes and you won't be allowed to get into a federal building. And they call that voluntary. You either do it or nails it. You cannot travel to Mexico or Canada and you can't get back in unless you have your passport. So there is more intrusion on our personal liberties. Now, personal liberty is very important. And in some ways, personal liberty means that we're tolerant. Because all of us are not believers as we are. But we tolerate other people's beliefs. But if we give up on the First Amendment and we give up on the importance of protecting our liberties, our liberties will be justified. And that's why we have to have a very clear understanding of the protection of our personal liberties and our religious liberties as stated in the First Amendment. The one thing that uh, we have failed on, one of our responsibilities here in, in this country and uh, a federal government responsibility, and that is protecting our nation and protecting our national sovereignty. And here today, we have less concern about our borders than we have about the borders overseas. So I would say that we should spend a lot more time dealing with adequate protection and, and uh, on our borders and not encouraging, as we do through our economic system, encouraging illegal immigration. That we cannot sustain. And as long as there's the promise of amnesty, believe me, there will be illegal immigration. As long as there's the promise that... That illegals can get in front of the line and get free medical care and free uh, free med- education. Uh, there will be illegal immigration. If we had a healthy, thriving economy, and uh, the the immigration problem, I believe, would be minimal. Because there's no reason why we can't be generous. We have been generous in the past. It's because of the deterioration of our economic system that when people see individuals coming and they know they're illegals and they're on food stamps, they're in the schools and they become an economic burden, that is where the resentment builds. So immigration is related to our economic policies and the worse the economy gets, the more hostility there will be. And the last thing we need is to have to have this conflict and worry about how to deal with illegals. What we want to do is have the healthy, thriving economy so we can be generous and open with our immigration pro- pro- programs. But when, when we look at national sovereignty, we also see a move in this country toward a North American Union. I strongly reject the idea of a North American Union. I believe that we should defend national sovereignty. And if we want to really protect national sovereignty, we would talk about some of the international entangling alliances that we're involved in. I see no benefit for us to be in the United Nations. And if we weren't in the United Nations and accepting this role of entangling alliances, we wouldn't have to be subsidizing way out of proportion the IMF and the World Bank and the WTO or the NAFTA or CAFTA. These, these programs do not serve our interests. Does that mean that we should be a closed society, that we should be isolated from the world? No, I don't believe so one minute. What we need to do is defend ourselves ourselves. But be friends with other countries, as the founders advised, and we will do much better. We can get our budget in balance, and we can maintain trade and friendship with the world. And we're going to have we're going to have less likelihood of going to war. So this is what we really want. We want to promote freedom because if you promote freedom and you understand it, and we understand the Constitution, we are going to have. Peace, Not perfect, but a lot more peace. And if we have peace, then we will have prosperity. If we don't understand freedom and we end up in more wars and constant wars and attack on our liberties, we will not have prosperity. And that is what we're facing, and that is what the next generation is inheriting. And it's not their fault. But what we need to do is devise a system where we can develop a transition. I'm talking about saving hundreds of billions of dollars in the various programs. Do we really need a Department of Education? Does that help us in any way? There's a place to save a lot of money. If we saved an adequate amount of money, we could actually get the budget in balance, start cutting the deficit, restore confidence to the dollar. At the same time, we can still take care of the people in need that we can't just put out in the street, but what we have to have is an opportunity for the next generation to work their way out of the system. There's no reason in the world if we did the right things why you as young people couldn't get out of the social security system. The social security system is not viable. There's no money there. But we are obligated to do our very best to take those, take care of the individuals who are dependent on Social Security. But the runaway inflation will make it impossible unless we get our budget under control. But eventually we have to move away in the same way on, this, on the monetary system. I don't advocate closing down the Federal Reserve in one or two days. At least take a week or two. <laughs> But no, you can actually have competing currencies in this day and age. It's happening all the time. Why don't we have this astoundingly new idea? Let's just legalize the Constitution and have competition. There's no reason why we couldn't pick and choose the currency we want. They do it around the world all the time. And the Constitution says gold and silver should be money. And we could do that, and then if uh, sound money does better than paper money, then uh, maybe the Federal Reserve will be put out of business. So there are ways to work these programs out. The same way, the educational system. I don't like the federal government involved. We we passed a massive bill just yesterday dealing with a lot more money going into the federal control of, of education. But in the meantime, what we have to do is allow people an option. I'd like to get rid of the whole tax code and the income tax. But in the meantime, what I would do is if you're in private schools, if you're uh, supplementing even somebody in public school or your homeschooler, that you can get all your money back off your tax return to take care of your own needs and you would be in charge of your education. This to me is one of the most important things we do is to encourage competition in education. That is why this university is so important because you truly are, you know, the competition against the establishment. Ultimately, the solution to our problems will come through education. We as politicians offer very little. Politicians generally are a reflection of a prevailing attitude. And this university in these few decades have had a tremendous influence already. This is very important because you have to change attitudes. You have to get people in teaching positions, into the media, into the government, and in all these positions. And as you do this, then there will be a reflection and a change. Politicians don't change anything. Politicians are merely puppets to conventional wisdom. And this is why this is why your university is so important. But we need a lot of universities. We need to get it out of the hands of the government. Just think not too many decades ago, the major universities and the major hospitals were started by churches and maintained by churches, but there's essentially none that do it. They still have church names to it, but they're totally dependent on government largesse and government regulations and government inflation. We as a people, unfortunately, have lost our faith and confidence in understanding how freedom works, how our government was put together, and how local government was supposed to be so much better than centralized government. We are dependent now on centralized control. Just think of the failure of our federal government to deal with the disaster in New Orleans. People say, well, it was mismanagement. Well, sure it was mismanagement, but big government always mismanages things. That is the problem. In 1900, our worst natural disaster in this history occurred in the district I represent now, in Galveston, Texas. Over 6,000 individuals were killed. But who took care of Galveston at that time? There was no FEMA, no Department of Homeland Security, no centralized economic planning. Texas took care of it. Galveston took care of it. They rebuilt the city, raised the city up, and built a seawall. But today, we depend on the federal government and central economic planning planners for everything. So it is time that we have revived once again the spirit that made America great and understand how it works because it can work and it should work and that's our only option. Because if we continue in this direction, we're going to have less freedoms, we're going to have less prosperity, and it looks like we're going to have perpetual war until it's too late, until we really come to a point where America could disappear, which is the last thing we want and the last thing I care for. And the reason why I have been involved for so many years, 30 years ago, when I first got involved in politics, I I tell you what, the message was not, uh, you know, well understood. There were only a few, there was no internet there were very few colleges. And this college I imagine was just barely starting. Conditions today are so much better, so different, so much more enthusiasm. This last year has been really an enlightening experience for me because of the enthusiasm, especially of of the young people. In Washington, D.C., I can't say that. It hasn't been reflected in Washington, D.C. So you as a generation have a great burden placed on your shoulders because it is going to be necessary to move things along rather quickly. And things do move along much quicker today than it used to be. In the 1950s, when I was seeking out and looking for information, it was difficult to find the textbooks or the professors that might teach the Constitution and limited government, Austrian economics. It was barely even recognized at that time. But today we have many think tanks, better universities, more professors than ever before. But it's still, it seems like the last place for anybody to wake up and realize what's happening in the world and in this country is Washington, D.C. That's what we need to do. We need to wake up Washington, D.C. You know, the wonderful thing about the the Constitution is that it's unique in, in all of history. I have been accused so often by the media when they want to poke fun, they'll say, well, yeah, you want to go back to a document that's over 200 years old. Don't you know we have to have that updated? And I said, well, 200 years is not all that old. How old do you think habeas corpus, the principle of habeas corpus is? It's a lot older and we ought to still honor that as well. But freedom, Freedom is a new idea. If you think that the release of the creative energy of a, of a free spirit in this country with the Industrial Revolution, which has done more to eradicate famine than anything else, it's the ideas of freedom that are, that are new. They're new to us. And they, we don't have to go backwards. We don't have to go back to some ancient gold standard and say that this is old-fashioned. There's much we can do and prove on all the ideas that, of the founders. And yet, freedom is new. Freedom is very new. What is old and ancient is tyranny. That has been known for the history of man. What is new is freedom. But freedom is unique because it brings us together. Because we want to change the world through freedom and opportunity and through persuasion and through our church and our family and friends and neighbors and local government. And it is open for that. It allows us to do this. But the opposite, when you adhere to socialism and central economic planning, everything goes away and goes to Washington, D.C. or the United Nations, and and we lose control. This is the problem that we have and that we have to face. We have to see that freedom is the issue at hand. Liberty is what the founders wanted and that they understood. This is why we fought the revolution. It was one revolution unique in all of history because after that revolution, the people actually ended up with more freedom, not less. All other revolutions generally deteriorated and the people ended up with less. And today, I believe we're at a point now where we have undermined all those benefits. So we are indeed being challenged. But we have every reason in the world to be optimistic. Our traditions are great, our problems are great because we have lost our belief and confidence in those traditions. But it's not quite like the Soviet system collapsing because they didn't have the traditions that we have had. We know and understand something about sound money and limited government, private property, and free trade and and personal liberty. So it's not so much that it it's new and strange, it's just restoring our, rem- our and remembering what we were all about. And this is why a university like this is so important because at least you get exposed to this and exposed to the Constitution. It is utterly amazing how few others have a deep concern about these values. So if we know this and recognize this and move in this direction, there's every reason in the world. If we do the right thing, we can be very optimistic about the outcome. The outcome outcome will come when we make these these changes, and this will not be that difficult. And if we allow ourselves the expectation that there will have to be some payment made, there will be payment made because of the abuse and the overextension of the debt, But if we have government in there propping up all the bad investment and all the mistakes, it won't work. But now we see this as an opportunity. I am much more optimistic today than I was one year ago because I have seen so many young people rally behind this message and rally behind the beliefs and the traditions of our Constitution and what has made this country great. So it is only keeping up with the momentum and seeing that what has been revived in this past year is only the beginning of what is so important today. Important today, not only because for practical reasons, but for economic reasons and for the cause of peace. It is the cause of peace that is so important to us. And standing together, we can revive all the greatness of America. Thank you very much.